Um, so I've got a new iPad coming Tuesday. I promise this has to do with the sermon. <laughs> Um, I have a new mini iPad coming this Tuesday, and I'm really excited about it. It's the small version, a mini one. I already have a large version. It's kind of a fancy one, and I'm getting rid of it. I'm downsizing for a couple reasons. One, so that someone else here on staff can use it for some ministry use that we need around here. But secondly, and this is why I'm really excited. (laughs) This is going to sound like you're a dork to some of you. Um, A smaller version is better for reading, and I love, love, love to read. So I'm really excited about my mini iPad coming so I can downsize from the larger one to go to the smaller one because, listen, I don't know about you, but I know for me, because I'm a reader, if I'm not reading every day, like I'm not myself, I'm grumpy by like 9 a.m. if I haven't gotten some significant like reading time in. Uh, Reading is important to me, and so I'm really excited because this Tuesday, my iPad comes. I've been checking the number, you know, the tracking number. Um, I just found out Friday that it's being shipped, so I've already checked, you know, a dozen or two times. I get notifications on email and text message, uh, and I know that it's on a truck in Indianapolis as we speak, which is kind of depressing because it was on a truck in Nashville just a couple days ago, and I thought, <laughs> I thought, it's in Nashville, it's getting close, it's going to come early, I can't wait, I'm super excited, then I found out yesterday it's in Indianapolis. Uh, so, alas, no early iPad. <laughs> it better come Tuesday. You ever waited for something uh, and the, waited, the waiting season just kind of was painful and it was like you couldn't think about anything else. You were sort of, you know, f- just thinking about and dreaming about what it's going to be. Like, okay, I've got a case ready. I've got to, you know, make sure I've got the cords ready and my computer's ready and the cloud is ready to talk to my iPad. Like, I'm already planning all that. Abraham and Sarah <laughs> uh, had been waiting for an iPad. No, I'm just kidding. They had been waiting for a son. They had been waiting for a son because God had promised long ago in Genesis 12, as we saw earlier and was read during the service, I will make of you, speaking to Abraham here, Abraham and Sarah, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others, which is a big time promise for which they had been waiting. And it was a promise that required having kids. But here's the thing. That promise was made when Abraham was 75 years old. And at this point in Genesis 22 that we're going to get to in here just a second, that promise in Genesis 12 was made 25 years ago to a man and a woman who were 75. We don't know how old Sarah was, but she was not a spring chicken. They were past childbearing age. And this was a promise that had been told in Genesis 12, repeated in Genesis 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. So for Abraham and Sarah, Tuesday became Wednesday, became Thursday, became Friday, and no iPad came off the FedEx truck. Can you imagine being told by God that you, that your immediate family was going to become this great nation, that your own children, your, your offspring was going to become a great nation, <laughs> even though you and your wife were past childbearing age, and then you had waited 25 years. That's a long time to wait. They had been patient. They had waited. There were some ups and downs. There were some impatience along the way. But when they finally held that child in their arms, can you imagine 
Can you imagine what it was like to finally hold that child, that child of promise that they had been waiting for and praying for and that God had said he was going to bless them, holding that little child in their arms. would have been a moment where you begin to learn, and some of you have had this, you begin to learn what love means and what love is like and how you'd sacrifice for that baby. You love that child. You hug and protect that little baby. And you love on that little child. You say to yourself, we have waited so long for you. And it was worth the wait. And then this happens. Look at Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, meaning after they'd received Isaac, after they'd waited for a while, after the promise had been made, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, which is his readiness and humility sort of answer. Okay, Lord, what do you want? And then God said, verse 2, take your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, whom you've waited for, whom I've promised to you. Take your son whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Now press pause here for just a minute here. We don't really know how old Isaac is at this point. Uh, We do know that he was old enough to talk and to ask in a little bit here that you'll see a perceptive question about what's going on in the narrative here in in the text. The important part to know is that Isaac's been around a while. And Abraham and Sarah loved this little guy. And they had gotten used to him and his personality. Uh, They were looking forward to him continuing to grow into who God created him to be. They'd gotten to know, you know, his personality quirks and and physical features. All, all, All parents do this. Oh, I think he's got your eyes, Sarah. Sarah probably said something, you know, like, hey, when he's got that little wry smile in, in his mouth, I can tell he's, he's being like his dad. You know, like all parents do. They'd do anything for this little boy. This child of promise that God had said were going, that is going to happen for them. And then verse 2, God says this, Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. <laughs> Wait. What? You want me to what? What about the promise? What what about the blessing? I don't know about you, but my response might have been something like, listen, God, this is how you carry out your plan? Now, it sounds insane to us, of course. But this was not as unheard of among the religious, uh, the pagans of the day, And Abraham wasn't one of them, and we'll point that out a little bit later here. But true dedication and commitment to some of these pagan religious deities meant that in the ceremonies that were uh, to to offer up to these pagan gods, sometimes there would be some self-sacrifice and human sacrifice. So Abraham knew full well what a burnt offering meant. A burnt offering meant that the entire sacrifice was to be consumed by fire. 
Uh, Leviticus 1 talks about this. It says, offer up all of the animal sacrifice, as in all of it, (laughs) was to be burned up. In other offerings, the leftovers could go to the priests, but with a burnt offering, there is nothing left. It all goes to God. About 200 years before Christ came the first time, which is what Christmas is, about 200 years before Christ's first coming, Jewish scholars were translating the Hebrew of the Old Testament into Greek. And when they were doing that, they used two words to describe burnt offering. The word halas and kostos. Halas meaning whole, kostos meaning burnt. They described a burnt offering with halas kostos which you may recognize as the word when Hitler gassed and burned the bodies of millions of Jews. The Jews picked that same word on purpose to describe what had happened. Abraham knew clearly what God had been asking of him. So he might have had a moment of thinking, you want me to what? I know I would have had that moment. I'm sure we would have had that moment. But notice how Abraham responds. He responds with an amazing faith that sees past where we see. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told them. On the third day, because it took about two days to walk there, about 45 miles, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, his helpers who were there with him, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, meaning both of them, will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, a quick note about that last phrase there. The grammatical construction here in verse 5 is this linkage of and statements. It says, I and the boy... We'll go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, not everybody agrees with me on this. Some of my pastor friends think I'm a little bit crazy. But, but I think Abraham's faith is so strong and radically different than what we perceive that he actually thinks that God will not really make him kill Isaac. And if he does, then he thinks that God's going to provide some way out that he doesn't know about. Let me show you where I get this. I'm not just making this up. There's a real important uh, interpretive device with Scripture that is Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. We're going to show this here on uh, Hebrews 11 for you here on screen. Hebrews 11:17 uh, to 19. Here's some of where I get this in addition to the linkage of ands uh, that I just talked about. And we'll see a little bit more of this here. It says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, meaning in Genesis 22 that we're reading, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, meaning Abraham, was in the act of offering up his only Son, circle that if you're a circular note taker. That word there is the same Greek that's used in only son in John 3.16. It's also used in Genesis 12 when uh, God blesses Abraham and promises uh, to have a covenant with him. That word only son there 
It's his only son, 18, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. (laughs) Which is to say that Abraham believed that somehow God would deliver Isaac even if he had to go through with the sacrifice. We'll be seeing more evidence of this in a second. Jump back into Genesis uh, 22 here, verse 6. It says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac, who at this point sees something's weird here, said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Can you imagine such a moment as a parent of your child? I mean, I, I would have been making up some half-truth and trying to skirt around the issue uh, and not really tell the whole story. But remember, we're saying that ultimately, Abraham is willing to go through with it and yet, in faith, believes that God will deliver somehow. So with that in mind, look at verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son, So they went, both of them, together. Circle that phrase, underline that phrase if you're a note taker. God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. This is an awesome foreshadowing of Christ. 1,600 or so years before Christ the Lamb is slain, here is a faithful man, Abraham, who has promised a son from whom would come that same Lamb, who is picturing for us what God would do, how God would provide a sacrifice for us. Super cool. It keeps getting better. Keep reading. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then, verse 10, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Isaiah 53, later on, would use this same exact word, slaughter, here, to talk about, uh, to prefigure Christ as a lamb that was led to the slaughter. So clearly here, Isaac is a type of Christ. He's a prefiguring of Christ. He's a picture of the way that God is going to provide. Keep reading verse 11. But the angel of the Lord, speaking authoritatively for God here, it might have been a pre-incarnate Christ if you care about that detail or not. Whatever we know is God said through this angel of the Lord from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, And he said, here am I, which is apparently the thing that faithful people say when God calls. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham had passed the test here. His faith was the real thing. Not merely some intellectual exercise in believing right things. It was faith that resulted in obedience, even to the point of willingness to sacrifice his own son. Now, while we're here in verse 12, a question a lot of people have when they get to this test of Abraham (laughs) is this. Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his own son 
especially when there are ten places in Scripture that speak against human sacrifice, which had been common among pagan religions of the day. There are various ways to answer this. We could nuance it more than this. (laughs) But here's why, friends, and this is key. This test of Abraham was meant to show that God is altogether different than the pagan gods. These pagan gods demanded bloody self-sacrifice, sometimes human sacrifice, to appease them. But Abraham's God, this is a God who would make the provision for us by becoming the sacrifice himself. That is a radically different picture of a God whose love for His creatures, His creation, is such that He would sacrifice instead of requiring us like the pagan gods. There's a fancy term that we use to describe this. If you're taking notes, it's called substitutionary atonement. If you're taking notes, you may want to... Genesis 22, 1 through 18 equals substitutionary atonement. It's just a fancy way to say Christ died instead of me. This is the Christian faith. This is the center of the Christian faith. That we worship and serve a God who made provision for us not in pretend nebulous idea world, but by sending himself in Jesus to make it possible for us to know him. Keep looking at how this picture works out in Genesis 22. We're going to go through the last few verses here pretty quickly. It says this in 13 and following. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, no need for Isaac, which is great, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. (laughs) The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And as a result of Abraham's faith, which was a response to God's faithfulness, God renewed his covenant. Look at 15 and following there. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself, this is on behalf of the Lord talking, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. God can swear by himself because when he says it, it automatically comes true as opposed to us. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son. There's this phrase again, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Uh, God's saying to Abraham here, like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) I'm going to provide a lamb. Just like I didn't require your son and I provided one for you here. I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. You can bank on it. You can be assured of it. Abraham, you can live in faith as if it's already happened. Now, I, I, I know that it's easy to read um, a passage like this. It's easy to read of the awesome faith 
uh, of Abraham. <laughs> and, and to go away thinking, which is a natural response. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for never demanding that kind of sacrifice from me. It's easy to read this story and to thank God that we never have to sacrifice like that. And that's worth thanking Him for. Yes. But here's the problem. We misuse the idea that our faithfulness to God doesn't depend on something as radical as sacrifice of a child. We misuse the idea that our faithfulness to God isn't dependent on something as radical as the sacrifice of a child. We misuse that to rationalize the idea that God demands nothing from us. Sadly, this is where a lot of self-professed followers of Christ live. Misunderstanding and misusing grace as a way to rationalize inert, inactive, all about me, make no personal sacrifice faith. He may not ask you to sacrifice your child. Praise Jesus. We can rejoice in that, but that's not a reason to assume he asks nothing of us. When we live in that place, we learn to abuse grace. So, so how do we step forward? <laughs> how do we step forward in faith, into an active and growing faith that goes beyond those borders of fear that we have set for ourselves? Simply put, <laughs> at Christmas, we continue to come to terms with the precious gift of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Often the limits of our growth and faith and moving forward are unawareness of His sacrifice for us. The answer to how you move forward in faith is you continue to come to terms with the precious gift of what Jesus has done for us. There's one little cool detail that I've left out on purpose I want to share with you at the end here. If you're looking at Genesis 22, you'll notice in a couple places. In Genesis 22, verses 2, and then again at 14, there's a cool little detail where it refers to a, a mountainous area in the, the land of Moriah, it says, M-O-R-I-A-H. There's only one other reference to this land of Moriah in Scripture. It's a, it's a reference to Mount Moriah in Second Chronicles 3 where King Solomon first builds the temple. And the temple is a place where God and his people meet together. So get this. <laughs> this area in Genesis 22 is the same area that became known as Jerusalem. <laughs> which means it's the same basic area where there's a mount called Mount Calvary where God indeed did provide. 
Friends, we celebrate Christmas because it's a time when we realize that in Jesus Christ, God completed what we really needed. Listen, friends, from the very beginning, God has been putting together Himself as a sacrifice so that you could know Him and have a forever relationship with Him. God provided a sacrifice so you could have fellowship and intimacy of relationship with your Creator, your Heavenly Father, a Heavenly Father who went to extreme lengths to show you His love. Because we couldn't. All the tinsel, all the decorations, all the presents, all the garland mean nothing if they do not point us to the truth. That we are reminded that God came in the flesh to make Himself known to us. To make real a sacrifice, a provision for our sins. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, indeed, we, in the quiet of this moment, give you praise and give you glory. Because you have done for us when we couldn't and when we were unaware. You have done for us everything we need for our relationship with you to be whole. We love you, Lord, because you offered for us a perfect sacrifice in Jesus. That his perfect life lived on our behalf became a sacrifice that worked. And so on our account, we receive all the riches and the blessing and the goodness that we could not live on our own. Lord, teach us. Teach us to take the truth of that undeserved favor. Uh, teach us to take uh, that grace and for it to be um, something from which we ourselves sacrifice. Not so that we would earn it, but so that we would reflect precious gift you've given us. Make of us, Lord, people whose lives sacrifice because you've sacrificed for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.